as you look back on 2011, and again, I'm, I'm asking for feedback on this. What are some of the most, and, and you've probably seen this on the news, where they've been going back over the year and they reflect on people who have passed away, uh, celebrities who have passed away over the past year, major events that took place. Not anything of a personal nature. We're going to save that for testimony time tonight. But what are the things that happened in the year 2011 that stick out most in your mind as a major event? Something that you would look at and say, boy, that's something that, that really struck me in, in this past year. Do, do any of you have anything like that? Susie? The earthquake in Japan. Major catastrophe. Still consequences from that coming about. Yes? Oh, the end of the world, which didn't come. Oh! <laughs> See, this is for the old decrepit ones who can't hear. <laughs> I'm sorry. The end of the war. You got to that very quickly. Do you have someone that was in the military? Your brother. So for you, very, very meaningful. And for the rest of us as well. Any other things? Two floods in your house. Now that that's a personal thing, but that's a pretty devastating thing. Yeah, that's that's really nasty to boy to come home to that too. Yeah, but you didn't stop, did you? Good for you. Good for you. Okay, the uh, termination of Osama bin Laden. Hurricane. Um, some of these things are not so good. We're, we're kind of remembering some nasty things. And you know what? I'm going to stay with the nasty things. And the reason I'm going to say that is because last year, did somebody say to you, Happy New Year? Now, maybe personally it was a Happy New Year. But there were a lot of negative things that took place. So now we say Happy New Year. So what does the future hold? We don't know. There may be some good things that are going to take place, just as there were in 2011. Some wonderful things happened in 2011. And there will be good things that will happen in 2012, but there are also going to be some nasty things that will take place. Maybe on a personal level, maybe more on an international level. But um, we, we know that 2011 is going to come as a mixed bag. And the question is, how are we going to get through it? Well, here's the good news for believers. The Lord has equipped us to get through the coming year. I'm going to make a reference back to the statement made by the young lady back here about the end of the war, not the end of the world. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just flat out misunderstood. Um, by the way, where is that guy that predicted the end of the world? Well, now it's the Mayan calendar that is predicting in December of this year 
Is it December 21st? December 21st, the world is... Pardon me? No man knoweth the, the time or the date that the Lord is going to come. And it's, it's foolish to try to predict that date. And so the one day I know the world is not going to end is December 21st. Actually, it can't end December 21st. And as a matter of fact, it can't end within the next seven years. And actually within the next thousand and seven years. Because the Lord's not going to destroy the earth and create a new heaven and new earth until after the tribulation and after the millennial reign. But that isn't what we're preaching about. We will talk about that on another occasion. But what I would like you to think about is this. We pulled our troops out of Iraq. And that is a, in my opinion, that is a good thing. But there is something that remains true for the people of Iraq. They still have in that country IEDs, improvised explosive devices, that are still going to be taking people's lives. They still have people who are willing to be suicide bombers, who will drive a car into the middle of a crowd of people, and as a fanatic for a false religion, they will give up their lives and take the lives of many, many other people with them for who knows what reason other than a diabolical, satanic reason. There are dangers that are going to face those people in Iraq for many, many years to come. And they are going to have to draw upon whatever resources they have, whatever provision has been given to them, not only to survive, but to make their country a viable nation that will be able to maintain its existence. The Apostle Paul wrote to a body of believers at a city in Corinth. And he addressed them about a whole variety of dangers that they were going to face. As a matter of fact, the church in Corinth had a number of problems. Let me give you just a list of things that Paul addresses in the book of 1 Corinthians. He talks to them about factionalism, about their arrogance about legal issues, about immorality, about worldly practices, about injured consciences, about improprieties in worship, about abuse of spiritual gifts, about greed, and about doctrinal error. And the Corinthians had been impacted and injured by all of those explosive devices. They probably even had brownouts. What just happened? Pardon me? Are, are we having a brownout? <laughs> Boy, now that's the answer you want to hear. <laughs> I nodded off. Okay. <laughs> All right, somebody poke Bert. Take a cup of coffee up to him. Just do something so he can keep the lights going for us. Anyway. As the Corinthians looked at those problems, Paul began his letter to them by telling them the provision, the, the opportunities, the, the goods that God had given to them in order to live the way they were supposed to in the coming years. 
They were not supposed to be giving themselves over to these difficulties. They were not supposed to be remaining in positions where they could be injured and hurt by all of these sinful behaviors that he is later going to address. But instead, they are going to have to be impacted by all of the different elements of equipment that God had given them to live lives that are honoring to him. We are going to begin today a series in the book of 1 Corinthians. And I can't think of a better way to start than the way the Apostle Paul started in writing to them about the equipment that God gave them for victorious lives. It's the same equipment he has given to us. It's the way we're going to be able to face the new year with an absolute confidence that if our houses are flooded or another war breaks out or the economy really tanks or your family faces the loss of a loved one or there is conflict that seems almost unresolvable. How do you deal with that? Let's look. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to read the first nine verses. And then we're going to see what God has provided for us. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who in every place Call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. How does the Lord equip His people? To face the future. The first thing he does is he equips us with grace. When we talk about grace, we are talking not merely about the unmerited favor of God, which is often the way the word grace is defined. It is actually included in the concept of grace. But God's grace takes a fallen, hell-bound sinner and because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sins and His substitutionary death on the cross for us, extends to us through the means of faith the opportunity to receive just the opposite of what we deserve. We deserve condemnation. He gives us forgiveness and life. It is His grace that calls us To himself. It is by his good pleasure that the Lord reaches down and from the perspective 
of a gracious, loving God calls the people to come to Himself through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you and I deserve that benefit? No. If we did, it would no longer be grace. But it is His grace that looks upon sinful man and by the determination of His will, separates a people for Himself, rescues them from eternal loss, and brings them into the place of a right relationship with Him. And it is that grace that brings into our hearts peace. In spite of the things that are going on around us. Look at what He says down there in verse 4. Pardon me, verse 3. Grace to you and peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When he is speaking about this peace, he is not merely speaking of the absence of turmoil or of difficulty. There is going to be difficulty. There will be trials. There will be hardships. There will be losses. But here is what he says. Because of the grace that I give to you, beyond all of the circumstances that you experience in life, I extend to you my peace. So that even if the house floods, that isn't what it's all about. Even if a war breaks out, that isn't what it's all about. The believer can face every circumstances of life based upon the grace of God with a sense of settled assurance and peace that rests in the good intentions and the good purposes of our God. How are you and I going to face the days ahead? We're going to face them equipped with grace. And a grace that leads to peace. In the verses that immediately precede that third verse, into to verses 1 and 2, we find out something else about this grace. It brings us a unity. Look at, look at this. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Now look at this next phrase. With all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. He brings about a unity among all of His people based upon His grace. Look around the auditorium. You had a chance to meet people a short time ago. What, what are their backgrounds? What, what are they like? What are, what are some of the people with whom you, you shook hands? Where are they from? I'm going to make this assumption at this point, and I understand that this may not be an appropriate or a correct assumption, but for the sake of our time together this morning, I am going to assume that every person in this room has put his and her faith and trust in Christ. I understand that that may not be true. I hope nobody will leave without trusting Christ. But, We know Christ is our Savior. And some of us come from a European descent. Some of us have experienced a relatively comfortable life. 
Some of us have had the privilege of education. Some have done quite well financially. Some are from African nations. Some have not done so well financially, but they have impacted a generation of people for the glory of Christ. Some have come from an island culture and have brought with them realities of life that are unique to them because of the background from which they came. Some are just getting by day by day. Some have had very limited opportunities for education. Some have come today hurting. And some have come today rejoicing. And with all of these differences, the Lord says, I am writing to those of you who believe in Jesus Christ and to all the saints because in Christ you stand together. It doesn't matter the background. It doesn't matter the standard of life. It doesn't matter the educational experience. It does not matter. I bring you together with all who in every place know Jesus Christ as their Savior. We have a unity in Christ. Why? Because He owns us. Ooh. Now that might smack at something that sounds a little bit not so good. But let's face it, folks. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. And the price was the shed blood of Jesus Christ and His sacrifice at the cross of Calvary. I belong to another. I am a slave to another. And that one to whom I am a slave is the absolute perfection of love and care and provision and guidance and assurance and every good thing that will ever be experienced. It all comes from the hand of my owner. Hmm. You're sitting very stoically this morning. Are you considering what I'm saying? Okay. Bert, you awake? <laughs> there is no better place to be than in the grace of a God who loves us and has the capability to provide every good and perfect gift as He does. There is a unity that we find in the grace of God. He owns us. There is also a grace that authorizes us. Look back, if you will, please, at verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle, 
of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. Well, here's Paul. What's he authorized to do? He's authorized to be an apostle. He has been set apart by the divine purpose and the specific will of God to be an individual who will proclaim through verbal exposition and written documents the will and the purpose of God. He is an individual who has seen the resurrected Christ. He has spoken with Him. He has been instructed by Him. And He takes the message that Christ gave and He also combines with that the experiences of His life under the direction of the Holy Spirit who carries Him along so that what He writes is the inspired Word of God. He was authorized to do that. There's another man who appears here by the name of Sosthenes. He's not an apostle. He's a servant. But a servant who has been set apart for a specific task. You know what? We met this guy before. Do any of you recognize that name, Sosthenes? We met him when we did our study in the book of Acts. We met him in Acts chapter 18. And in that chapter, we're told that Paul had spent a year and a half in the city of Corinth teaching the Word of God, evangelizing, and this Sosthenes got sucked in to the events that centered around what Christ or, or what, what the Apostle Paul was doing when the crowd turned against the gospel that he was presenting. Go back to verse or chapter 18 of the book of Acts. It's probably back, oh, just a short distance. Romans falls between... Uh, uh, Acts and 1 Corinthians. But if you turn back to Acts chapter 18, and if you look at verse 17, it says, and, and this is when they were trying to get rid of the Apostle Paul, then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. In other words, the political leader was not moved at all by the threats and by the activity of the Jewish leaders who wanted Paul and all his friends to leave the city, or, or perhaps they even wanted them dead. Sosthenes gets beaten, but now he's traveling with Paul, and he's identified as a servant. He is authorized to serve. What did he do? We're not given very specific information about that, but there is a thought that comes to mind as you look at this. Paul was suffering from a physical ailment. Many believe it was a problem with his eyes because he makes mention on several occasions about his, his eyes and, and the difficulty. And it's believed that Sosthenes, traveling with Paul, was what we would call an amanuensis. He was the person to whom Paul would dictate the words and he would write them down. And at the conclusion of his letters, Paul then would sign them to verify that this message that had been communicated to them was indeed the message that he had received under the direction of the Holy Spirit of God. What does that tell us? It tells us that for every one of God's children, there is an authorized path of behavior. God has authorized you to a specific purpose, to a specific goal, to accomplish His will. Some are authorized to be housewives who make a wonderful impact upon their children and upon the neighbors around their home. 
Some are authorized to be a testimony for Christ in the factory, where his name is used, but not in adoration, but it is used as a curse. And some are authorized to stand up for the name of Christ and tell others what Christ has done for us. Some are authorized to be in the realm of education and to teach others the things that they have learned. The bottom line is this. For every person who knows Jesus Christ as Savior, you have been authorized to carry out a purpose. You aren't just an individual who is floating through life with no goal, no purpose. God has a purpose for every one of us. And my question is this. With the grace that God has given to us freely, are you accomplishing that purpose? Are you doing what it is the Lord has called you to do? He has equipped you with His grace to do everything He has called you to do. Now you and He work together not only to determine what that purpose is, but to fulfill it. We are equipped with grace. But there's more. Look at the abilities that he gives. As you go on and you read further into this chapter and you get down um, into the 5th, 6th, and 7th verses, we're introduced to some other things. But before we get to those, I want you to go back and look at something else that was hidden in that second verse. It's not hidden in the second verse. It's very clearly presented in the second verse, but we haven't touched on it yet. This ability with which he equips us is first and foremost an ability to live a holy life. We were singing about the holiness of God. Um, The selection of music this morning was so perfectly fitted for that which we are about to talk. He, He has called us and set us apart for a sanctified purpose. I want you to look at the words that are used here. Notice in verse 2. To the church of God, which is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified. Some of you may have a note in your Bibles that says, set apart. The word that is being translated here is the same word that comes from the root word for holy which means to be set apart. When we sing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, we are singing this. You, in absolute perfection, have been set apart from anything that is imperfect, set apart from anything that is a violation of your own being, to that which is absolute perfection. There is no sin. There is no failure. There is no weakness. There is nothing within your being that is not absolutely perfect. And so when we sing about God, He is saying this. We are saying this. We recognize your perfection as a holy God. He now says this. When you come to my Son and you embrace Him as your Savior, you are identified with Him in His perfection. The sin of which all of us are guilty has been paid for through the sacrifice of the Son and the righteousness which belongs to the Son of which we read in Romans, 
Do you remember what we read earlier in the service? When we read that in Romans, we spoke about the righteousness that God freely gives to those who put their faith and trust in Christ as Savior. You have been set apart too. We are sanctified. And then he goes a step further. Listen to this. We are sanctified in, that little word in is so crucial, we are in him. How did we get into Christ? Let, 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 let's see. I, th- this wasn't part of the sermon. This is a sidebar. We have to understand why that word in is so important. In Christ Jesus. How did you get in Christ Jesus? You got in Christ Jesus when you trusted him as your personal savior and a spiritual transaction took place that was carried out apart from your capability, apart from my capability, but dependent fully on the capability of the Holy Spirit, who according to the Apostle Paul says, by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, the body of Jesus Christ. The moment you trust Christ as Savior, your identity shifts from being outside of Christ to being in Him because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And because you're in Him, you have been set apart and called to be saints. What? Called to be saints. With all who in every place call in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Did you know that you were looking at a saint? Right, dear? I better not pursue that. Truth of the matter is, you don't have to wait till you die. You don't have to have any miracles performed around your grave. You don't have to have a church council declare you a saint because God has already made that declaration. Saint Art. (laughs) I wish you could see the expression I just got. That's a big deal. Saint Edith. George is smiling. That's okay. Saint Luke. Does this raise any questions in people's minds? Don't look down, Jeff. Saint Jeff, a cop. A cop. A saint. And you are. Do you all understand what God has said about us who know Christ? In Christ, by virtue of an identification with Him through faith, the benefits of His death, burial, and resurrection have been imputed to us as we are placed into Him so that as the Father looks at the Son and He sees Luke and He sees Edith and He sees Art and He sees Jeff and He sees you and He sees me, He says to you, who are set apart, called 
Notice your, the little two words to be are in italics. They are added by the translators. Called saints. Do you know what that does for us? That gives us ability. And the ability is to live consistently with the position that God has given us in His Son. Do you know what that means? That means we live holy lives. That means we should live holy lives. That means He has enabled us to live holy lives. Where the rub comes is when we make the choices that don't line up consistently with the position that he has given us. But he's given us the position to do what's right. Do you ever have to commit another sin? No. Will you? If you follow my lead, yeah, you will. You will. But we don't have to. Because we've been given ability. Ability to live holy lives and within the realm of that experience, to live in such a way that we can communicate the truth of the holiness that is found in the person of Christ. As you read further, drop down to verse... Well, I'm going to start at verse 4, but it's going to take us down through verses 5 and 6. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by Him in all utterance. And all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. You and I have the ability to utter the truths about Christ. And the utterances that we give are based upon the message that has been delivered to us through God's word. We are people of the book. My opinion means nothing. And I appreciate the fact that it wasn't a loud amen to that. But you guys know what I mean. My opinion means nothing. The only thing that matters is our fidelity to the truth of what God has revealed through His Word. And we have the ability to communicate eternal truth to the world around us. Those neighbors... You can tell them about Christ. You can tell them of the realities that face them in eternity. You have that capability. God has given you that ability because he has given to you a foundation of truth that is written in his word so that we do not have to share mere opinions, but we can share, thus saith the Lord. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The soul that sins, it will die. The soul will die. What does that mean? Go out of existence? No. It means it will be separated from God for all eternity. There is a resurrection coming. A resurrection to the just and a resurrection to the damned. Those are truths. Those are not opinions. And we have been given the ability to communicate those truths. And then, we've also been given the ability to serve effectively. Look at what it says in verse 7. 
so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has given us the ability to serve and to do it effectively because every person who has a path that God wants them to follow has been given a spiritual gift that they can use in the process of fulfilling that purpose and going down that path so that they can minister to the needs of people around them. And the gifts are different. They are all appropriate for the the time and history in which they are given. Some of the gifts were given for the purpose of either bringing revelation or confirming it. But now the revelation is complete. And it's no longer necessary for some of the sign gifts to exist because Israel has passed from identity as a nation in 70 AD. And so the gifts that were for the purpose of giving special sign to Israel have ceased. But the signs of ministry continue. The signs of, or the gifts of of ministry continue. The gifts of help, the gifts of teaching, the gifts of faith, the gifts of giving, the gifts that, that are enumerated for us throughout Scripture. Do we have the ability to carry out the work of God effectively? Where will that be seen? In the church. You know what that means? We all need to be serving faithfully within the church. And that service within the church is going to have an outreach to the world. See, can we face 2012 with an optimism? Yeah! Happy New Year! But it doesn't necessarily mean that everything's going to go well. It just means this. God's given us everything we need. He has equipped us perfectly to face the year that's coming. Let me show you one other equipment piece of equipment that he's given us. He has equipped us with hope. Did you catch the second part of that verse in verse 7? Eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's our hope? The hope of his coming. No man knows the time. My guess is it's not going to happen on December 21st. 2012. So if you make it to December 21st, or pardon me, to December 20th, and the Lord hasn't come yet, you got another day when you can be sure he's not coming. But he may come the 22nd. But he may, is that your birthday? Oh, I can just see that cake in heaven with 112 candles on it. We're looking forward to our Savior's return when he takes us to meet him in the clouds in the air. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. It doesn't matter what comes in 2012. That is a settled hope that we have that the Lord is coming back to take us to be with himself. And then all of the troubles will be over. We will see him and we will be like him for we shall see him as he is. But I want to tell you something, folks, that ought to scare us, too. 
don't you dare waste the time that he's given you until he comes. Don't be sitting back and saying, oh, oh, I'm coming with nothing. I did nothing for you. We ought to be very much aware that the time of serving the Lord could be extremely limited. And until that day comes, we better be faithful. It ought to keep us from sin, too. Do you know when I wish the Lord would come? This is just a personal thing. I wish the Lord would come while I'm preaching. And some of you do, too. Say, (laughs) we get out of here on time. I happen to look at the clock. It is exactly 12 o'clock. <laughs> All of a sudden we're gone. I, I think that would be a wonderful way to be called to heaven because at that moment, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to shut up. And all of the mistakes that I have made in preaching will be clarified. And then there's only one thing that's going to matter. The beauty of Jesus Christ and who He is. Yes, I'll see loved ones, but that can wait. I'll see the Savior. I have hope. I have hope in the strength that God Himself exercises towards me. Look down at verse 8. Who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is speaking of the power and the strength of God to keep us where He has placed us. I am not hanging on to Him. He is hanging on to me. And because of that, I have this absolute assurance. I'm getting home safely. I may really mess up down here. And you may have messed up. But you say, I I trusted Christ as Savior, but I really messed up. Oh, this past year I did things I shouldn't have done, and I failed here and I failed there. And I have great news for you. If you genuinely trusted Christ as Savior, your failures will not keep you from getting safely home. You guys know that that is not a carte blanche to go out and behave any way you want. Because your works will be judged. You will have to give an account for what you've done, but you'll get safely home because of His power and His strength. And then in the final verse, He tells us this. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our He said in the previous verse that I am going to be looked at as blameless in a judicial sense. The judge has declared all who have trusted Christ as Savior blameless. But I have a different relationship with him too as my father. Not just as my judge, but now as my father. And here's what I know. God is faithful He will get me home safely. I will be presented in his presence as blameless. And then I will stand before the son 
to be evaluated on how I behaved as a child of God. And I can't undo anything that's happened in the past. But I can sure make tomorrow different. As I live for the praise of His glory. Hey, what kind of year is 2012 going to be? I have no idea. It might be good things happening, might be bad things happening. But here's what I know. I have been given the grace of God who has granted me the ability to serve Him and has placed within my heart a settled hope that cannot be shaken. If you don't have that because you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, all of that provision, all of that equipping can be yours. But it has to be on God's terms. What's the greatest sin a person can commit? What's the greatest sin the person can commit? Murder? No. Adultery? Blasphemy? How is that defined? Blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. A lifelong rejection of Jesus Christ. When we say to God, I don't believe you. That's the greatest sin. When we believe, we come to him with empty hands and we say, I have nothing to come to you to commend me to you. But I come with empty hands And I receive that free gift that you have given graciously to be my Savior, the person of Jesus Christ. And when we trust in Him, even if there is something in our hands, we drop it at the cross and we say, I accept Christ as my Savior. Why not begin the new year with a new life and trust Christ now? Right now, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I believe that Jesus died for my sins. And I accept Him as my Savior and receive by faith all the benefits that you give to those who are your children. What a great way to start the new year. And then, once you know Christ, to live with absolute confidence. We're equipped. We're ready. Bring it on. Let's stand. Father, what a privilege it is to deal with your word. What a privilege it is to fellowship with a body of people who love you. What a privilege it is to share with those who perhaps don't know you yet the truth of how we find forgiveness in life. Thank you for equipping us with everything we need to face the coming year. Father, you have blessed us beyond measure. And for this we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.